Welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. The hosts are Matt Gardner, Walid Amar, and Pradeep Dasigi. Okay, today our guests are Victor San and Thomas Wolf, who are research scientists at Hiking Face. Victor and Thomas, welcome to the program. It's good to have you. Hi, guys. Thank you for having us. It's a real pleasure to be here. Hi, everyone. So today we wanted to talk about model distillation in general and a specific NeurIPS workshop paper that made us think about this topic on what you called distillbert. To start us off, do you want to tell us what model distillation is? Yeah, sure. So model distillation is the idea that you can train a smaller model from the outputs of a bigger teacher. So usually you have like the same architecture, but just like a smaller model compared to the teacher. So you train the student from the teacher by using the output of the teacher. And the idea is that rather than training on the goal labels, you can train by teaching the student to mimic the behavior of the teacher and use the output distribution of the teacher so that the student can fit the distribution, probability distribution of the teacher. So why do I want to do this? Why should anyone care about distillation? Yeah, that's a good question. One of the biggest reasons we are doing distillation is to compress the models and having faster models for an inference purpose, especially when you think about edge applications. So having inference directly on your phone, on your like edge devices or having models that are production friendly. But speed is definitely one of the biggest requirements, especially when you think about low latency constraints in servers. Wait, wait, are you telling me that leaderboard performance isn't the only <laughs> thing that matters? <laughs> Uh, maybe in real life, okay, it's like good to have a good performance, but when you like type something on Google search, you don't want to wait a minute before having a result, right? Yeah, and just to drive this point home, I think one of the original papers that introduced model distillation was talking specifically about ensembles. Like we see on leaderboards, often ensembles of models are at the top most of the time. So you took BERT, which is big, and made BERT smaller just as a single model. But imagine I have BERT, but I have an ensemble of like 10 BERTs. If one BERT is hard to run, you can imagine 10 BERTs being much, much harder to run. And so we want to take these performant models and shrink them down as much as possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like the the original paper was working with ensembles and it's obviously driving like a lot of like the other SOTA leaderboard race. So yeah, the teacher can be like a lot of things. It can be an ensemble, but it can also be like a, just a single model that is quite big. Uh, so that's what we did in this bird. So like taking a really big bird and try to compress it in a smaller version of bird. So why should we expect this to work? You would think if I need all of these parameters to get my high performance in the first place, why should I be able to get similar performance with a much smaller model? At some level, it seems very counterintuitive that this is even possible. What's going on here? I think there are several aspects to cover here. One of the biggest aspects here is over-parameterization in our models. So it's pretty well known now that most of our models today in language are over-parameterized. You have much more parameters than you actually need to do a certain task. So when you have something already trained, you can probably, you want to somehow prune it, you want to somehow distill it, compress it. So you just end up with what you actually need for doing like your specific use case. And maybe a second aspect here is like, it's related like to the first point is all these developments on like lottery ticket hypothesis. So the idea that you can have a really strong, really big model like to catch and to find the right subnetworks. But at the end, do you really need all like the rest? 
So just keep the, the steps that work at the end and discard the rest. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't made that explicit connection before between the lottery ticket hypothesis and model distillation, but they're definitely related, or at least this whole pruning idea gives credence, give, gives some validation to like why it should theoretically be possible to do distillation. Yeah. Beyond overparameterization, could it also be the training objective being different? Because the smaller model is essentially trying to approximate the distribution of the uh, the larger model, right? And the distribution of the larger model is arrived at after actually looking at all of the training data, right? So could it be that also? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there is a, a relation to how we actually understand what, what is inductive bias in NLP, right? We think uh, part of it is uh, including the architecture, but another part is learned during the training process, as I can see it. So the part that is included in the architecture, they will be both in a student-teacher, right? But it's the part that you will learn from the data, this is something you want to try to extract with the knowledge distillation. I'm not saying that the way we are doing right now is the ultimate way we should do knowledge distillation. Just using output, input pair uh, maybe is a bit sparse, or maybe we could have more uh, signal. But yeah, that's definitely the idea is in my head to like to try to catch this inductive bias that was learned by larger models. Yeah, and a way of paraphrasing all of this is to say perhaps that it may be very difficult hard to say impossible, but maybe very difficult to get the smaller model to learn the right internal representations from the data. There might not be a, a good learning algorithm that will get us from the data to the right parameters in the small model. It takes the larger model to actually really capture, for whatever optimization reason, to capture the right decision boundary. But then once it's there, there are different learning algorithms with different objective functions that will let us compress it down without necessarily needing the data. I think there is an interesting set of experiments that could be done. For instance, if you take the recent T5 model by Google, the text-to-text -text transformers, they trained a, a large range of uh, sizes, and the smallest model is like 60 million parameters, right, which is very small. And there is probably interesting thing to understand if actually this small model that was trained on a really huge amount of data, can we get the same performance? Can we get better performance by initializing a model of the same size and tracing it from distillation of the largest uh, T5? So there is, I think, something we should explore this or like that will be interesting to explore. That's one question you also investigated a little bit, Victor. Is it just a question of the amount of data? Like if we take these small models, we train them for long enough, can you recover this inductive bias, even though they, they're small enough? So I think the idea of Victor is that the lottery ticket would make me make us think we cannot. That's, that's an open question. Yeah, those are good points. So we've talked about what model distillation is. We want to take a really big model and compress it down into something that has similar performance, but with many fewer parameters or much less time. We want to do this because... We don't always just care about leaderboards, and we might want to actually run stuff in real life. And for that case, we want something to be smaller. What about how exactly we do this? We've kind of skirted around this issue a little bit in how we've talked, but like, what's the actual mechanism, the learning algorithm, whatever, to get from the big model to the small model? So the canonical way today to do distillation is to compare the output distribution of the student and the teacher and to try to push the student distribution 
towards the teacher's distribution. So we use like a cross-entropy loss that was introduced by uh, two papers. The first one was the Caruanal paper, and then it was developed further by Hinton and Al. So yeah, you basically use a cross-entropy over like the multinormal distribution. You push like the student to mimic the behavior on this distribution to the teacher. Then there's the question of there is distribution, what kind of data you want to model? And you usually, the most straightforward choice is to use the original training data of the teacher. That's like a really straightforward uh, choice and it works pretty well because you have distribution that the teacher is pretty well trained on. You use the same distribution input distribution for the student. So it, it works pretty well. There's like also some effect of size. So you don't necessarily need to use as much data as the original training. You can use like a subset, like maybe a third, maybe 50% of the original data. But something interesting on the training data that some recent papers have been showing is that you don't necessarily need to have real data. There's this recent paper, I think it's an article paper from Google called Thieves of Sesame Street. In this paper, they basically show that you can distill a model, you can distill a teacher into a small student by just giving inputs, random text. So what I call random text is just a sequence of random words that don't necessarily mean anything. It can be like table, spoon, bottle, whatever. And just by mimicking the output distribution, it's already like a strong enough signal to train a, a distilled version of the teacher. So the input don't even necessarily have to mean anything, like in terms of semantics, in terms of language. The distribution is already like a really strong signal to, to train the distilled version. That's a really interesting result. I guess fundamentally what we're trying to do is recover a decision boundary. And all we need is something that will give us information about how close we are to mimicking the original model's decision boundary, such that we can do gradient descent on our small model and try to mimic that decision boundary from whatever angle we're looking at it, right? That's a really nice paper that you just mentioned. Here's another anecdote. There was this paper that came out a few months ago, maybe almost a year ago, called Adversarial Examples Are Features, Not Bugs. And this paper is trying to understand like what it is that makes adversarial examples work. Eric Wallace was interning with me at AI2 at the time. And we talked a lot about this paper and Eric did some experiments that were really interesting. Our thought was that the experiments in this adversarial examples or features paper really just amount to model distillation. And I think he showed this in a really interesting way in that he took the model's incorrect predictions so take dev data or something where the model predicts the wrong thing on like image classification. So I'm MNIST or something. I'm taking a digit predicting what digit I'm looking at and it takes instances where the model got it wrong and then takes the model's prediction and uses that as training data for a new model. Does this make sense? So like I see a digit that is a seven. I think it's a three and I use that image with the label three from the original model and train a model with that. Even though the image is a seven, I'm giving it the label three and I'm training a model on this entirely incorrectly predicted data. Guess how well I do on the original test data with the original labels? Better than random. Significantly better than random. Which is really quite strange. Like, it's really counterintuitive that I can get not trivial performance. It's not amazing performance, but it's not trivial performance when I'm training only on incorrectly predicted data. And why? This is because that incorrectly predicted data tells me something about the model's decision boundary, and the model's decision boundary gets non-trivial performance on the original data. 
And so it's it's really interesting. It's very similar to what you said with from this Google paper, where I'm giving it basically nonsense input. It doesn't have to be input in the original data distribution. And it also doesn't have to have the original label. I just have to have some signal that tells me about what the original model's decision boundary was such that I can learn from that. Yeah, absolutely. That's quite strange. And I, well, I'm not sure if there were like any experiments on this paper, but what happens then when you just grow the size of the data sets? Imagine that you have an unlimited data set of nonsense inputs or just incorrect labels. Can you actually recover like a strong performance just by having like an unlimited data set? Yeah, yeah. The, the key is that it can't just be any incorrect label. It has to be the incorrect labels from the predictions of the original model. Mm. I'm just trying to recover the model. I'm not trying to recover anything about, I was going to say, I'm not trying to recover anything about the data itself, but actually the model is essentially a compressed version of the data in some sense. And so the model's decision boundary tells me something about the data. So I, I can probe that decision boundary using anything that I want. Now, we've talked about a few different issues here about like how exactly you can do this. You get to dive into a little bit more detail on some of these dimensions. One is data. One is loss functions. In the trivial experiment that I was talking about, we only used the label itself and not a distribution, and we still got some distillation there. Whereas what you suggested is that I'm using the model's entire probability distribution as my learning signal. Getting the whole distribution instead of the argmax from the distribution is going to be more information about the model's decision boundary. And so it should be a stronger learning signal. You could also imagine if we have a particular model class, I could go even farther and get like the model's hidden state, like try to mimic the model's internal hidden state at some point as another signal for distillation. Are there others? Like we can talk about how each of these works when we get more into distilbert. But are there other like classes of things you might try to mimic? That's pretty much the two big classes of losses. So on the distribution or on the embeddings, the hidden states. And then there's also like the data. I'm not too familiar with model distillation literature. I don't know how much you know about all of it either. You said you could use the original training data. Google showed you can use this nonsense data. Are there any insights that people have had or like methods to find what data is the best to distill from? I imagine that makes a difference, but I don't know how much work there's been in that. I haven't seen any paper on that. But even the data we use to pre-train these large models, I think there is not enough research on that. In other words, lots of really open questions that are ripe for more research, dear listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess like uh, the research community hasn't really focused on data because somehow can be seen as boring, <laughs> like uh, really looking into the data. But that's actually really sometimes what actually drives the performance at the end. So yeah, that's quite important. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think that's true. That's something we want to push. And I don't know if you've seen like we've released like a very fast tokenization library recently, which is kind of related, I think, uh, all these input pipelines, like people don't pay enough attention to them, don't really play enough with them. And so the tools are very not developed enough, like not fast enough to actually experiment a lot on this. So that's one of our big goal is to try to push the community to do more research on this side. Yeah, and your contributions in that area have been really good. So thanks. Okay, I think at this point we have a decent handle on model distillation as something you might want to do and how it works. So maybe we can move to talking about your specific contribution here, which is a particular distillation of BERT. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we work on distilled BERT, which is a distilled version of BERT. It's basically like the same architecture, so just the classical BERT 
but with only six layers compared to 12 layers for the bird base. And we trained it with distillation. So we do pre-training through distillation using linear combination of three losses, which are the canonical mass language modeling, the cross entropy loss, so the distillation loss, and a third loss, which is aligning the hidden states, the top representations of BERT. So we are definitely using like the two kind of classes in the losses, so like on the distribution and in the embeddings. So this third loss is its job is like just aligning the two representations from the teacher and the student. And so we basically compress it to half of the layers. So we have 40% less parameters. And on glue, so a benchmark for natural language understanding, we keep 98, 99% of the performance of birth base on glue. So you mentioned, as we talked about earlier, trying to encourage the distilled model's hidden state to match BERT's hidden state as a distillation technique. This only works because of a particular parameterization that you chose, right? Where you made sure that the sizes of all the hidden layers align between the two models. Is that right? Yeah. So basically what we did in this Tilbert is initialize the student from the teacher. So basically we only kept half of the layers. So layer zero, two, four, seven, nine, eleven. And we take this half of the teacher's layers and to initialize the student. So we can leverage the same dimensionality of the hidden states to align them. In our experiments, we show that having this kind of initialization helps a lot. We have like a drop between like three or four points on glue if we don't initialize from the teacher. And the rationality of initializing from the teacher is that uh, okay, we have a really large model and it's pretty good at covering the space to go to a good local minima. But having a smaller student, you don't have like such a strong search space. So how can we help guide the student towards a good local minima for the student? Not like, uh, not necessarily for the teacher, but for the student. And initializing from the teacher is already like a good boost uh, towards guiding for a good minima. You said there was a four point or so drop if I don't initialize the parameters in the way that you said. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around what that four points actually means. I think a decent way to try to answer that question is take a model of the same size and train it from scratch. Does that make sense? Did, did you try that? What happens? Okay. If we take a model of the same size and train from scratch. Without any distillation at all. Without distillation, that even worse. Do you know how much? Uh, I don't have like the figures uh, in mind, but you can probably, I think you lose like one or two points. One or two points like below the four points or? Yeah, in addition to like the uh, three or four points uh, if you don't initialize from the teacher. If I can rephrase to see if I'm understanding what you're saying right, there's essentially a gap between what I would get without any distillation at all using this model architecture, and what I get if I do distillation in the best way. And you're saying if I don't do this initialization, I lose about three-fourths or two-thirds of the improvement that I get from distillation. So I get very little gain from distillation in some sense over just training the model from scratch, unless for this particular model, I initialize it in this particular way. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's correct. That's really interesting to me. So that means that proper initialization is more important than distillation, correct? The impact of the initialization is bigger than the impact of the distillation loss. Okay. 
Yeah, that's another interesting question. If I just do the initialization and then train without the distillation objective, just train on the original task objectives, what happens? Did you try that? So just initializing and training with a mass language modeling loss, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah, so do the initialization that you did. Yeah. And then I use whatever objectives I want on the glue tasks, except for the distillation objective. This is another way to just to try to get at this question of like, what is the distillation actually giving you? And can we tease apart the distillation from the initialization? I'm not sure we tried this experiment. <laughs> it, it's fine. This work is good because it makes me think and it, it raises a lot of questions. And you produced a nice artifact in Distilbert and you got me thinking about some really interesting scientific questions that, as far as I know, don't have answers. Anyway, interesting things to think about. So related to the loss functions that we talked about earlier, in your paper, you note that you had temperature in the softmax loss when you're doing distillation. So basically, instead of trying to fit exactly the softmax distribution or the, the probability distribution that Bert creates over its vocabulary at any particular point, I'm going to smooth that distribution out quite a bit, potentially and only match the smoothed version instead of the original one. Can you comment on why this matters? <laughs> yeah, we were discussing that earlier because I think it's very interesting as well. In general, I think it's like a general theme in NLP that we want to announce this small signal. And this reminds me of, of a lot of things like one unpublished work we are currently submitting, so I can't really talk in detail about that. But an, another work <laughs> is like very general thing. Like if you take the old word to vec, right? One of the, the very nice trick was to actually emphasize the rare words and like the smaller signal and downplay the frequent words and the very frequent signal. In a lot of place, we have this something that I think is closer to class imbalance, uh, in which we have a too strong signal on some part of the input or part of the output space, and we want to overemphasize the, the smaller signal. And you see that many plays actually. Multilinguality, when you train multilingual model, you also want to like overemphasize the rare words. So smoothing the softmax, you're saying this overemphasizes the rare words? It overemphasizes the, the small signal more like. It's not really the rare words. It's like the words we are very confident about in our case uh, for MLM. Okay, so if I have a distribution that has a long tail, it's got a clear mode, maybe a few words that it's got pretty high probability on it, and a bunch that it's got low but non-zero probability, the temperature is going to push the low ones down farther to zero and the mode up higher. And so we are reducing, as you say, the effect of the lower probability predictions. I think long tainly is probably the right underlying statistical concept here that we want to fight or like be better suited. This is definitely true in just learning in general when I have huge output spaces. I wonder if or how this interacts with distillation in particular. If I want to fit a model's decision boundary, is it more or less important that I smooth out these quirks of the model's boundary, for instance? It's an interesting question that I don't know. I think in the case of language, so what we're doing with the really large vocabulary, it's quite important. In most of our language models, the distribution over the vocabulary can be extremely spiked. So we'll have like three, four words where all the mass of the distribution is. Basically, if I give you a sentence in English, okay, let's say, today I walk my dog in the, and you can complete with park, you can complete with street, uh, whatever. So you have like a really large 
choices of possible um, outputs and you want to be able to capture this kind of uncertainty in language. So having a less spiked, more smoother distribution is quite important for language if you really want to cover all the possibilities uh, in your vocabulary. Yeah, definitely. We could probably even take out the argmax and destination would work, right? A bit like you did for the like adversarial example, right? You take out the main argmax and you just distill on the other one. It's all, it's almost the same, yeah. Do you mean you tried it and you get similar results or you think it would be similar? We tried to remove, in the free losses, we just removed the real math language model, a modeling loss, and the impact was like less than a point, if I remember correctly. See, also, I guess as the temperature goes to one extreme, you're going to recover an argmax exactly, right? Yeah, absolutely. There are questions here around what is the optimal temperature? Do you have any insight there for this particular task? Random search. <laughs> okay. And from that random search, did you find anything? Were there trends as you went up and down temperature? Do you know? I don't really have really strong experiments on that. Okay. We found like a really reasonable hyperparameter here and it worked for our experiments. So, but that's like a good question. Like how spike, how smooth you want your distribution to be. Right. Cool. Another thing that this paper really got me thinking about was how model distillation interacts with all of the Bertology the analysis stuff that people have been doing. I know lots of papers have tried to analyze what goes on inside BERT's layers. Like there was a paper on, does BERT recover the classical NLP pipeline? There was a paper on layer-wise analysis of model transferability. A lot of these papers that try to understand what's going on. And you did something really interesting, which was drop every other layer and try to compress that way which in some sense says I want one, one layer to do the job of two, which means now I don't need as much depth, but I can recover very similar performance. This strikes me as something that's really interesting as a vehicle for analysis to further understand what's going on in BERT. Like I could try distillation and then compare what I see in the distilled model versus the original model and do some interesting stuff that way. Like what, what do you think? Yeah, that's an extremely interesting question. So if look at like the attention patterns in Distilbert and Distilroberta Roberta and like the children of Distilbert, I would say. <laughs> and somehow we found like pretty similar attention patterns. So, you know, you have like a couple of papers showing that, okay, this, the first head focuses on attention, the previous word, this head focuses on tension, on the pronoun. And we had like really similar patterns in terms of attention. We didn't really like go further than that, but one point here is I'm not sure that distillation, when I say distillation, so mimicking the output of the teacher, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to mimic every single internal behavior of the teacher, right? You want to let the student make his own source and like build his own stuff rather than really mimicking like the every single step of how the teacher computes a representation, right? So having a probing task at a really high level, so on the top of like, or maybe like at every single layers is a, I think a, an approach that makes more sense than trying to compare like the embeddings or like where the embeddings are in the space. Yeah, I guess I was thinking what features of all of this analysis that's been done on BERT are preserved across distillation. And if there are some, then maybe that tells us something interesting. Because you're right, the distilled model isn't going to have as much capacity. It's going to have, well, in your case, it has fewer layers. You can imagine other distillations that have fewer heads or like fewer attention heads or whatever. And then the question is, what parts are preserved 
And if I distill it too far in some sense, can I detect what was lost and use that to get some kind of causal might be too strong a word, but like some kind of insight into what actually was driving Bert's original performance. I don't know, it's, it's interesting to think about what you could do here. We haven't really analyzed really specifically what's happening in terms of syntax, in terms of semantics inside the layers. However, what we did, we've tried like, so distill Bert on uh, the multilingual version of Bert. So the multilingual Bert, basically. And there is definitely a question of capacity. I think it's especially true for multilingual models, trying to recover a lot of different languages. And the biggest drop were on like low resources languages. So on Thai, on Vietnamese and uh, languages where you don't have that, uh, that much data compared to English. So yeah, there's definitely a question of capacity. Does it mean that you can't recover some syntax and semantics? That's like an open question here. My last big question for you, you kind of already addressed in that answer, which is like, what do you lose when you do this model distillation or compression? And it sounds like I could rephrase what you just said as the things that you miss when you distill are the things in the long tail. Maybe it's multi-word expressions. Maybe it's, uh, I don't, I don't know, just this long tail phenomena in language, rare words that you might miss out on in your lexicon, other kinds of stuff that just isn't as frequent that maybe Bert had originally in its model, but you don't have in your distilled model. Do you think that's fair? I think that's a fair assessment, yeah. I don't have like a good intuition on what other things, what other aspects you could lose. That's pretty much I had like in mind so far. Okay, cool. Did you try with different ablations for sizes of the smaller model? Would that give us some intuitions into what you might lose? Yeah, we've actually tried to compress BERT even further by only taking a third, maybe a fourth of the layers. So going down to two or three layers by having the same initialization method. So taking the teacher, removing some layers and it didn't really work. So we had like a really strong drop in performance on glue. And that's actually one thing that's also discussed in the Albert paper from Google. So one experiment they did is to fix the number of layers and they double the size of the hidden states. So they take a 12 layers and instead of having a 768 hidden sides, they take a, the double of 768. And they have a really, really strong drop in performance, which means that there's kind of a sweet balance between the number of layers and the hidden size. And if you go up a certain threshold between this uh, re really sweet ratio, your transformer is not stable anymore. I see. Which is kind of like surprising. Yeah, that's really interesting. You also had some experiments of distillation before and after fine-tuning, right? I mean, essentially after pre-training and after fine-tuning. Were there any interesting trends there? What we observe is that if you have a really big data set, for instance, on Glue, MNLI is a quite big data set. Quora uh, question pair is a quite big data set. And on the other side, RT texture entertainment is quite small. If you have big data sets, having a second step of distillation doesn't help that much, but it will definitely boost the performance on smaller data sets, fine tuning data sets. Great. Thanks. This has been a really interesting conversation. Are there any uh, things that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover or any last thoughts before we finish up? Maybe one last thing I think is the relation about between how much memorization we have in models, right? And how much generalization. So this is currently a very interesting topic in general in deep learning. And there is an interplay with distillation where maybe distillation could be one way to probe. Tease apart these two things. 
do you get more or better generalization on some out of distribution data from a distilled model than from the original model? That That is indeed a very interesting question. Yes. Great. Thanks. It was nice talking to you. This was fun. Thanks for hosting us. <laughs> Thanks for doing the, the podcast. It's really, uh, it's really an amazing one, I think. Thank you. That's nice to hear. Thank you.